welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. And welcome to episode 64 of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Andy Chambers, who is a father, a husband, a podcaster, and he's also the founder of Born Human, which is a holistic mental health consultancy that specializes in workplace productivity with a unique focus on parental mental health. And that's exactly what we catch up to talk about. We talk about being parents. We talk about being dads. We talk about work and then we talk about how all those things kind of come together to affect our mental health and things that we can do to improve that, you know, and the work that Andy does with Born Human with the workplaces is really, really interesting. There's a lot of stuff here that I've kind of thought about and I've never quite been able to articulate my thoughts. And it was wicked to chat to Andy because he just has a way of breaking this stuff down where I was kind of going, yes, that's how I think about it. You know, he has a really good way of, of talking about this stuff. And it was really cool. We talk about being dads. We talk about work. We talk about the, the hats we have to wear in these places, right? So separating work and home and being a parent and being a husband or a partner and how these things aren't separate. And that was a really interesting part of the conversation because that really starts to affect our mental health, which, of course, affects how we work. And then all this stuff starts happening at work. And it's just kind of, uh, yeah, a really big conversation. It was lovely to get into. Something else that we uh, touch on as well is supporting a loved one when they're going through some sort of mental health or mental illness crisis. And I've mentioned on the podcast a lot that it's a, a big conversation and a neglected conversation. We're always talking about the person who's experiencing it, but we don't often so much focus on the people around them and how that affects them. And there's a bit in the podcast where... Andy and I chat about that and the way Andy speaks is just so, it's really touching, it's really moving, he kind of got me in the feels really. Yeah, it's really, really well put, really vulnerable, really open and yeah, it's just a, a lovely bit of the conversation. And one thing that we didn't get into is Andy's podcast, which is also called Born Human. We kind of run out of time, so I do apologise Andy if you're uh, if you're listening to this, but because we didn't talk about it in the episode, I would like to give it a shout out now because it's really good and yeah, it's all about parenting and mental health and different aspects of parenting. And it's well worth a listen. If you're not sure where to jump in, Ben Aker's episode is really good. Amy Bullman's episode about single parenting, that's really good. And the Chris Glasson episode, Parenting Your Parents, that's a really good one as well. You can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this now, you can listen to Andy's podcast. And if you would like to know a bit more about him, you can go to bornhuman.co.uk and there's links there for all the social media and all the things that they do. If you want to get hold of me, propermentalpodcast.com or at propermentalpodcast. And of course, if you could take two minutes to like, review, subscribe, rate, all of that stuff, it would be very much appreciated. Okay, this is episode 64 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Andy Chambers. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy.
So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Andy Chambers. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Oh, mate. Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. I'm kind of a big, with the risk of sounding like a, a massive hippie, mate. I kind of, um, I don't know. I sometimes believe in like the universe giving little little prompts and little nudges. And um, yours is a name that kept sort of popping up in places that are familiar to me. So I feel uh, really, it's really cool that we can make this, make this happen. Yeah. Similarly, same for me. I just kept seeing proper mental turning up in my life but I didn't know whether it was a sign for me or whether I was properly yeah. mental or whether it was just like I feel like we should sort of connect in some way so yeah it's, it's yeah, good to mate. be here yeah. very much so mate yeah and I suppose probably the best place to start then is um should we have a chat about about Born Human and the, and the work that you do there yeah yeah for sure so um it's been quite a, you know a bit of a long journey to get here but we do so we're basically working with parents and increasingly kind of transitions really I mean that's what we've established is that um, I kind of came to mental health really through um, through my own experience my own lived experience and our family experience of um, postnatal depression initially Um, and I kind of on the back of that realized that this doesn't feel right there's like there's not enough support in here for everyone there's some support for for mum which is great um but there's something missing for dad and or a partner in the in the real world um and actually quite often overlooked and so I was like this needs to change and so with with Born Human it was I started doing work with a charity called Dads in Mind which is supporting dads on their journey and and that was great for a couple of years but sort of through COVID I I think COVID's got a lot to answer for in many ways but there are quite a lot of positives that I take away from it um and one of those was kind of the time to reflect on just look look at it a bit more holistically and try and work out what the work that I was doing it felt like I was making a difference with dads that was and that was a good thing but did I ever really I felt like I was always firefighting and um so I, and it just kept sort of bugging me to think that you know I feel like all I'm doing is firefighting and I know that's not the answer to most things in life the answer is to solve the problem you know so and what I realized was that a lot of the guys that I'd been working with they all had one thing in common and that was work basically they had they were all coming to me with a conversation around whatever their problem was whether it be their anxiety their depression their partners their relationship with their kids they all had their own story in that capacity but every single one of them had a stress around work so every single one of them was trying to keep a face on at work and keep um uh, stay stay face and sort of be like oh yeah I'm good I'm, I'm fine at work kind of thing so I don't want it to affect my career but yet they'd come sort of and talk to us and be like you know we've got this stuff going on I really don't know how I'm functioning at work I'm not really performing I don't really know how I'm turning up but I'm just basically there in body but not in mind um and so that that message just kept coming up and I thought well actually I mean I'd done 12 years in corporates before so um I'm a banker for my originally a banker for my I didn't want that didn't want that to be the be all and end all of me being a banker um but um yeah so I kind of spent a long time doing that and I realized that even though there were plenty of times while I was working in that world that I felt like I had low mood, not necessarily depression or anything like that, but like definitely had periods of highs and lows as we all do. And 
I never felt like I could talk about it at work. I never felt like there was a space to be able to kind of communicate that with my peers without feeling like it was a threat. Um, and actually, I think because the, the world's changed a lot, right? We, mental health is a much more constructive place these days and it's much more open and honest, but there's still a long way to go. Um, but when it sort of, I was thinking about the work thing and I was thinking about all these guys that I was meeting and the fact that it kept coming up and I kept thinking that, you know, surely that's the place that we need to do some work, right? Because quite often we're, you know, I had a running joke with a guy that I used to work with, Nick. And um, every Thursday, my team would go out for beers. We used to, I was on a sales team. So it was kind of, you know, it was fairly stressful. Um, and every Thursday, they'd all go out for beers as a team. And I just never really bought into it. It was never really a thing I wanted to do. I was like, I've got my own mates back home that I don't see enough of anyway. I'd rather spend my Thursday hanging out with them than hanging out with you guys. No disrespect, you're really nice people, but you're not, would I choose you as friends? Maybe not. Some of them I would. I would class Nick as someone who I'd been away with Nick and all that sort of stuff, but I'd never, it just wasn't my thing to go out and get smashed on a Thursday and sort of come in for hangover on Friday and talk about the drama. And he always used to say on a Thursday afternoon, he'd be like, Chambers, are you coming for a beer? No, of course you're not. You've got real mates, haven't you? You don't hang around with us anymore. <laughs> and uh, and he was right. And I don't mean it rudely. It was just like I, I wanted my own sort of angle on it, you know. Um, so it was a bit of a, a sort of running joke. But it, it sort of stuck out for me in the sort of the work that we do with Born Human now in that we're certainly there's an encouragement to keep your work and social life very separate, you know. They're, you know, there's that old sort of saying around work and play. Yeah and, yeah. and it's so true. But actually, since having kids, what I came to realize was that that doesn't work anymore. Because when I wake up at six o'clock in the morning and my kids got a fever or something's going on, I naturally have to integrate my work into that relationship because I've got to phone them. And if I've got responsibilities at work, I've got to get cover for them. Or And there needs to be an understanding that I... I'm taking responsibility for that, but my kids come first and I need to work that out before I kind of resolve my work things. And on the flip side, as an employer, you have two choices, I suppose. You can meet that with the hard, fast, well, that's not good enough. You've got to be here at nine o'clock and do what you need to do. I don't care. Work comes first. Or alternatively, you can be empathetic and compassionate to that situation, find a solution because there is always a solution you know, nobody's irreplaceable. And, and you make that work in a way that kind of suits you. And what I kind of came to realize was that you, what you take away from that is loyalty. You take away kind of goodwill and people that are really committed to your business and people that become much more productive because what it asks of you as a business is to be more dynamic. It means that you have to be more productive, more creative in how you handle problems because that's real life. And it, you know, I don't know who coined a nine to five, but a nine to five has never really worked. It's just that we force fed it into a society, you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, the work we do now is about trying, really is trying to help support parents with their mental health at work and make them as productive as they can be, which is in everyone's best interests. It's making you a better parent. It's making you a more fulfilled individual and it allows you to kind of integrate yourself into a work environment that you feel you're valued in and that you're a part of. Um, 
and so yeah we're you know we're relatively fresh it's 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 a new venture really um but i know from my experience of doing the dad's work that it works in terms of the type of conversations we have and the difference they make to people um the the challenge i suppose is convincing it's relatively new in terms of you're integrating that into a work environment and asking people to buy into that you know um so yeah so that's where we're at and we're we're trying to sort of integrate this more um open-minded approach to our humanity i suppose at work and recognize that we are human first and we're not you know employees first and human second so yeah 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 i mean if you like that's fascinating really you know you think about how many hours per week someone's spending in the workplace and then to kind of be almost expected to keep that separate from the other hats that you have to wear in your life right the dad hat the husband hat all that sort yeah. of stuff that's like um yeah and there is no uh, there's no blurred lines there is no it is a, a separate thing i've never really thought about it in those in those terms before but yeah. um yeah yeah definitely like you say when kids enter the picture as well that just becomes a whole different yeah different whole lot of juggling game, right? going on yeah. yeah do you find the the you know the places that you're kind of approaching are people i don't know are people kind of are they open to change because some things are just commonplace you know they're considered normal just because we've always done it like that and no one's yeah. ever stepped back to go hang on a minute like why why do we even do this you know it's normally based on like something from like hundreds of years ago that hasn't just never been thought of you know yeah well it's interesting because the um so i suppose in answer to your first question are, are people open to it and yes people are it does seem to be that um on a human level people totally get it i think what the challenge is at the moment is like finding those people that are that really see the value of committing it into their business and understanding i suppose they don't feel threatened by the prospect of having those conversations at work or being supported around work you know um because there is a there is a an old school process that people go through you know you've got hr and you've got um you do get support so lots of sort of health insurance programs and stuff like that will offer counseling and offer physiotherapy and stuff like that but what's interesting with that is that those programs really in my opinion aren't fit for purpose anymore you know i you know i've been through therapy therapy used to be a dirty word to me until i was probably about 30 odd years old um and then when i met my wife she was a her parents were marriage marriage counselors right and so um not that we needed marriage counseling at that point but it opened my mind to the fact that counseling isn't the kind of crazy tag that i'd that i'd always associated with you know um and so going through my own therapy and stuff i've learned a lot but that's you know it's cost me quite a lot of money over the years but i see it i don't see it as spending money i see it as an investment in myself you know and what's interesting about those sort of health and well-being programs that come through insurers and i know this from um from my own life in corporate when i have had help before through there um it's like right you get six sessions and then after six sessions it expires and you have to prove that you're still deserving of it again well anyone who's been through therapy will tell you six sessions is just about enough to tell you what the problem is and to get an idea of kind of who you are establish trust and build a relationship and at that point what do you do well I've then got to go and tell you that I still need therapy Uh, and it's like there should be a natural kind of uh 
approach, I suppose, that says that we all need to talk and it shouldn't stop after six sessions, you know? Um, So, yeah, there's this whole kind of, in my mind, there's a change of mentality around people seeing it as a, a constant need for something to happen and for conversations to be readily available, easily accessible, safe, non-judgmental. And actually what's quite interesting is that, so people often say to me, are you a coach? Are you a trained counsellor? Anything like that. And I actively am not. I'm choosing not to be on the basis that what that gives me is the ability to talk to someone on an entirely different level. Um, and that feels at times I sort of hear myself say that and I think, oh, it sounds like a cop out. It sounds like you can't be bothered. And it's really not. It's just the fact that I know myself that if I've sat in front of a counsellor, it feels like a very different conversation to just having a conversation with another dad or because ultimately your connection is then not about trying to solve a problem. It's just saying, well, where does our where do our lives meet? Where do our paths cross? And what can we learn from each other as equals? You know, um, so there's a as an active choice to, to do that. And that said, I mean, born human is kind of built around a uh, so we're essentially building up a bank of consultants that all offer different strengths. Really, um, my co-founder James Costello is an author. He's a senior lecturer at UE on counselling and psychotherapy. He's done like I don't know, I don't want to embarrass him by saying how many years, but it's probably been over 25 years now of time in industry kind of supporting um, supporting families and working with, with men, with women on so many different levels organisationally. So he's kind of the, the academic, I suppose, behind the idea. Um, and when we first met, which, which I think is really, which was it for me and what sold it for me really, so he was my counselling supervisor at my uh, in my charitable role, and I sat down with. I messaged him one day and said, "I've got this idea for what is now Born Human to support parents at work and kind of try and integrate that process." And he said, "Okay." I said, "Would you mind if we kind of sat went and had a chat?" So during lockdown, when we were allowed to go for a walk in the park, we went for a walk in the park in Bristol, and um, and uh, I explained it. I sort of started rambling on at him about all the ideas that I've got and the things that I wanted to do just chatting for kind of 10 or 15 minutes and he said to me um can I just stop you for a minute and I thought oh god is he going to now tell me that this is the world's terrible most terrible (laughs) idea um and actually uh he said so I've written a book called workplace well-being a relational approach and you're literally recounting it chapter for chapter and so I think we're on the same page. Let's assume that the work that I'm doing here and the work that you're thinking about doing is basically on the same page. Um, and it's so that was an endorsement in many ways of the fact that two very different perspectives can still have the same end goal and can still see things from different angles, but still see the same light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, so we're, we're building like a, a team of people that are... I think the, the primary thing that we ask for is passion, really, and what they're doing. And so everybody that was working with us, whether it be on the antenatal side, whether it be on the fertility sides, behavioural stuff, the academic sides, they are all kind of really passionate about their subject matter. And they're people that have been working in this game for long enough that they're able to kind of 
bring that passion to a room and and that really that passion is half half the battle to getting people to kind of understanding what we're trying to achieve you know yeah Um, because once people can feel it and once people see it they relate to it because quite a lot of the people we're talking to are parents they've just never thought of it that way before but they've definitely experienced it if that makes sense yeah definitely yeah I suppose when it comes to like supporting people as well we all need we all need different things at different times right and so if you go into like specific counseling well that tends to be um talking towards maybe not getting to like a very specific goal but you're looking for some sort of outcome right you're looking for a different type of help and sometimes that's exactly what we need and then sometimes you just need to talk right sometimes you just need someone to just kind of like nod in the right places and not offer any help and not tell you what to do and just you know maybe and say like oh mate that sounds shit you know i'm sorry that you're going through it and sometimes that's enough right so to have like both sides of the of the coin as part of that supportive journey. I think that's really, um, you know, that's a really great approach to the whole, to the whole conversation, you know? Yeah. yeah very much so. I mean, it is, it is interesting, isn't it? That you, you know, the listening part of it is so crucial. Uh, and, you know, at times it makes me feel like a snake oil salesman because, you know, what I'm, and I'm sure you can understand the same sort of thing. It's like, all I'm actually doing is just listening to what you've got to tell me. And, and actually, that's enough. That is enough for you to feel a weight is lifted. I know I've sat in dad's groups with guys who they took, they were two hour sessions. And in two hours, they've said next to nothing. And at the end of it, they've come out and said, so glad I came. I feel like a massive weight's been lifted off my shoulders. And I'm like, but you didn't say anything. Like you just heard other people's stories. And I guess that's, you know, that for me was when I started the podcast, the Born Human podcast, that was about trying to bridge that gap. So much like what you're doing with Proper Mental, it's about creating, for me, it was about creating an anonymous space where people can engage with those conversations, knowing that they don't have to physically interact with them actively to take the benefit away, you know, Um, often, and I think this is often the case with parenthood and mental health in the whole but with parenthood, I find I feel like there's a stigma that um, it should be utopian and it should be incredible. And nobody's, you know, you're not allowed to complain about the bad bits because aren't you lucky that you've got kids? And, and yeah, I am. And, and that's amazing. But also it comes with its challenges and those challenges are just as justified, uh, just as justified as a parent as they are if I had any form of normal mental health issues that I needed to resolve, you know, they need talking about and they need resolving. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, what I realized in the groups that I did was like, okay, I don't need the active engagement, but largely, I mean, we work with whole family now. That is very much our approach at Born Human. It's not just about dads, but my experience with dads was that largely as I guess we'll both probably testify to, men are more difficult to engage with and choose less to engage for pride and shame and reasons of vulnerability and and very many other angles. But they, um, uh, they would love the opportunity quite often to do it quietly in the background and not tell anyone about it. And so for me, by creating a space where they can kind of engage with these kind of conversations and be like, oh, okay, so I'm not the only one. And actually it does feel better knowing that somebody else has been through that. Um, 
that that was kind of the angle. It sort of takes me back. I remember, in fact, that my episode that comes out today is with a guy that I used to go to school with, funnily enough, and I'm going to link it to my school in Billericay. Um, but I remember sitting in an English class in, when I was in year seven, and it was like my very first class, and the teacher, I don't know why it was stuck with me, really, but it does make sense. Teacher sort of turned around and said to me, I said to the whole class, he was like, if you've got a question, put your hand up because there will be at least 10 other people in this room who want to ask it, but won't have the courage to do that. And that's essentially the same with mental health quite often. It's like, I don't think I'm on my own in this, but I'm not brave enough quite yet to sort of stick my neck out and say, I'm, I've got a problem. Can anyone help me with that? You know, because there will be a raft of people who follow behind you and be like, thank God he said that. Now we can celebrate and we can all talk about our mental health and feel free about it. You know, oh, mate, that's so true, isn't it? Sometimes it just takes that that one person to go first. Yeah. And, you know, and if you've been that person in the past and you're, you know, you're comfortable with talking about these things, then you can put yourself in that in that role and hold that hold that space. And, you know, um, a lot of, I think, reluctance to talk is a myriad of factors why people particularly men don't like talking but one is that they don't know how they're going to be listened to yeah you know, what if you do talking's a big deal we talk in this in this world all the time it's like talk about your mental health talk about your mental health no one tells you how you yeah know? no one tells you how fucking hard it is no one tells you how sometimes you you say something then afterwards you feel like you need to go for a lie down and all yeah. you did was say a, a few paragraphs or something you know and yeah. but we don't know how that's going to be received so when you can create these safe spaces for for listening you know yeah. then then we know, you know, that if you want to talk, um, but you don't have to, because that's really powerful as well, right? Rather than yeah. saying everyone talk, everyone talk, everyone talk. And I used to be like, I don't know what is going on with me. How the fuck am I supposed to talk about it? I don't know yeah. the words. I don't know what this is. But then that relatability from listening, listening to other people, that's when I started to think like, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe that's a little bit me. And then, yeah. like, well, that doesn't sound like me. I don't think that's it. But, oh, but that's also a bit of me. And you can slowly start to like build this, picture you know of um of what what might be happening and then it's easier to uh is that my <laughs> sorry mate i don't even know what's going on bear with me <laughs> sorry i was sitting there thinking is that my laptop i think my wife she's gone to a spa day i think she's in the car and somehow managed to connect to my sonos and turn it on from the car oh mate still so, on your bluetooth <laughs> because i've got the headphones on and i'm like how on earth is she doing that like, i don't really <laughs> understand and I, I thought it was yours at first but you might have to edit this one. <laughs> oh, mate <laughs> oh but no no worries at all man no worries at all but yeah that that um sometimes that yeah just that relatability and hearing that relatability is really really um important and it's interesting you mentioned the you know like the dad's groups and um you know the people who go there and maybe don't say so much yeah. i always think that I'm, I'm in the process of trying to set up something similar myself um on on the wirral and i kind of think i want to try and set up a space that's more based for introverts yeah. Because that's me. And a lot of these groups that do amazing work, but it's based around maybe going for a walk. Yeah. And then you'll see on their social media on the bit, oh, we had like 20 lads down and we went for a walk. And I'll be like, oh, I can't go for a walk with 20 strangers. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? That's like, that's that's the exact thing that kind of sets me off. Or, yeah. you know, I can't go and play football with a group of strangers. I just can't. And I don't particularly yeah. want to, you know. Where can I go where I can just sit and listen? Where yeah. can I go that maybe on week two or week three or week four, if I feel I want to say something, 
that then I will say something, but yeah. I'm not going to be forced to like introduce myself at yeah. week one, you know, create that more of a, a softer environment for the people that don't, aren't kind of good at the more outspoken stuff, you know? And I think there's something to be able to go and just listen. Yeah. So much power in that. So, so, so much power in that. Yeah. And I think, I guess that's the beauty of podcasting to some extent is and what my hope and aspiration for my podcast and all of us that are doing this kind of work, I suppose, is that what these conversations do is they build a confidence in the people that are listening to them in a way where they can say, like you were saying, you know, you find yourself in that fog and you're really not sure what's going on. And yet you can pick little bits and pieces, kind of put it together and be like, okay, well, I didn't have a picture before. I just had a blank canvas that didn't make any sense to me. And now I've got kind of these different elements to it that are, um that sort of makes sense and might be a bit blurry but they're kind of coming together a little bit and then eventually you could you build up enough confidence to be able to say okay well I feel like I've got enough about me now to be able to look and say I reckon I could reach out to a counsellor or I could go to a dad's group or I could turn up at a um any sort of group or therapy in some way where you've got like a an opportunity to talk and you've got something to talk about because that's quite often the thing is that you don't you know okay I don't feel like a head's a mess at the moment but like how do I articulate that to you when I can't make sense of it you know if somebody yeah. sets a bomb off in my living room and I say oh it looks like this but I can't show you what it looks like with no picture then how do I do that and yeah it's it's one of the things I mean that kind of brings full circle in some ways to when my wife had postnatal um and the she got help the one of the, the women the woman who helped her runs a charity in bath called open space and she is i'm very proud to say part of born human and helps us with kind of the behavioral and parenting relationship stuff and antenatal postnatal stuff um but she was you know that was the group that my wife went to uh and it was art, it's art therapy so it's not um or art psychotherapy so it's not uh it's not classic therapy and when our midwife first turned around and said oh you could try this it's really it's really good both of us looked as if to say really like art psychotherapy what like I'm going to sing and dance and start waving (laughs) things around my head and stuff and um anyway she went to the first session and what she came away with was a picture exactly what I just described really is that you know what they use in those sessions is they use kind of objects and colors and textures to create to emit feelings really and kind of explain how you feel so they might sort of turn around and say well how how did you feel before you had children or before you fell pregnant and those kind of things and they'd be like bright colors and sunshines and you know happy smiling faces and people going on holiday and stuff like that um and then after kids i mean it was for my wife all the colors were dark they were very very kind of oppressive and and uncomfortable and kind of insular and introvert and it was bizarre she kind of came home and she was like i get it like look this is my picture this is what i had and i was like this is amazing a massive breakthrough to kind of understanding it because for like nearly 12 months we've been kind of going through this cycle of like something's wrong you don't know what it is medication isn't going to fix it for you you need to understand what's going on to be able to kind of find your way through that and different people work differently and for some people certainly people who are visual 
I think those that kind of arrangement is so helpful and so useful to kind of finding a solution, you know. But it does take somebody to take that lead and to stick their neck out, I suppose, and be the one that sort of says, I've done this and it was okay, you know. Because yeah. it's fear of what's on the other side, isn't it? That's what you're afraid it of. It really is, yeah. Because sometimes when you're poorly, even though you're not doing very well, at least you know where you are with it. Mm. You know, at least, you know, that in a way it's a safe space, you know, and yeah. getting out of that space is, is scary. Cause like you say, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what you're going to have to face. You're worried it might make you worse. You've got no guarantees. It's going to make you better. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, I'm going to stay where I am, even though it's fucking awful. Yeah. I'm going to stay where I am because at least I know where I am. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's tricky. I, it's such a interesting, the different ways we find to like express these emotions and stuff, because we're not taught that. Eh? We're not taught yeah. about our, you know, what our emotions mean and what our feelings mean. And yeah. then when we suffer with our mental health, well, then we're not really feeling anything. So how yeah. are you supposed to put on, you didn't know the name of it anyway. Now yeah. you're poorly. So you can't, you're not feeling anything anymore. And then you sit down with someone and they say, how'd you feel today? And you say, I've got fucking no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. don't know. Yeah. I didn't know before and I don't know now, but I know it's not right. Yeah. 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 yeah it's in- interesting actually. Like we, um, when my son is sometimes if we're going into school and stuff, he's five. So he's like, in, he's in primary school. He's just started. And yeah. sometimes if he's a bit nervous going in, we play this little game. You've probably heard of it. Like five, four, three, two, one game where you do like, um, I haven't heard of it. Go on, oh, tell mate, me. it's wicked. So we'll say to him like, oh, right, tell me five things you can see. And he'll say, oh, that car, the wall, um, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, two things you can smell. So he's like, he's tuning into himself. He's thinking about his senses rather than what's coming up the day ahead. And the last yeah. one, number one, is tell me one thing you like about yourself. Yeah. And that's always the one he struggles with. Always. Yeah. You know, and he'll say something like, oh, you know, I don't know. Hit my mic. Um, you know, oh, I'm like, I don't know, some of the things he says, oh, I'm this or I'm that. And I said, That's that's great that you are that, but that's not something that you like about yourself. That's something you do, you know, yeah. that's not you. And it's trying to teach him about the to about what he's feeling and how he views himself. And um, yeah, but it, that's the hardest bit, you know, when yeah. kids are operating off instinct, they're normally the ones that aren't confused about this stuff. It's us because society has messed us up. So yeah. it's just interesting from a young age, we don't quite, we have to learn how to talk about ourselves in yeah. those way, you know? So, yeah. I think it's great. You know, you say that and I, like, I'm totally taking that away and I'm probably going to just double check it with you afterwards when we come off this call. But that's amazing. Like, I think as parents, one of our huge responsibilities now is to educate our kids on their emotions because generationally, <clears throat> when you think about the impact of mental health and kind of where we've got to, we found ourselves in a place of society where we now accept that it's a part of our health pattern, that it is an illness quite often. If you find yourself in that situation that, you know, that it's just the same as breaking a leg or breaking an arm kind of thing. It's, it, it's understood that that's a reality now, but even working in mental health, it's still sometimes difficult to kind of compute that when you're going through it yourself. It's like, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like a broken arm or a broken leg. And so I think, you know, certainly as a, as a parent myself, I feel a responsibility to promote that self-love and self-care in a way where it's actively done rather than kind of just taken for granted. And I think it fills me with amazing inspiration when I hear people like you telling me things like that, because that, that is, that is what builds our next generation. That is what makes our kids great. That is what's going to make them great. That's going to fulfill their potential. Um, one of the interesting side, I'm talking to some sports organizations at the moment about doing some work with their teams. And um, 
one of the things that came out when I was talking to a sports psychologist was that 50% of the work that she does around um, with these guys is not around uh, their actual performance on the pitch. It's about unpicking the damage that's been done in their childhood to fulfill the most potential in themselves now. Right. And you think that makes perfect sense because all the habits and behaviors and things that we think as kids are sort of set for life almost. And unless you unpick them or, or alternatively, unless you correct them at the start, and then we come right back to don't fix the problem. Once it's a problem, let's get it right. First time round, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as parents, it, it does take for, it, it can, it needs us to kind of think differently about how our kids' lives are going to look and what and what they need in life to let's learn from our own experiences, right? Let's let's look at our own experiences and say, well, how long did it take me to work out that I had that problem? And why did I not relate it to something when I was nine years old? Oh, funny enough, because I had no knowledge of it and nobody may have made me aware that, that was an emotion that I should feel. Yeah. Um so it's fascinating. And I think that amazing little snippets like that of, of things and you know it's reinforcing those things in the same way as you can reinforce bad things in your kids you can reinforce the good things as well right yeah yeah very much god so. knows there'll be some bad ones in there i'm pretty sure of that for mine i don't know you know <laughs> yeah, i mean i'm an essex boy so my language isn't perfect i know that <laughs> i'm just grateful that six years so far and he's he's not using swear words that he shouldn't be using and stuff like that but <laughs> yeah no that's it man. you take what you can get sometimes right yeah totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, something that was actually really um freeing for me i used to put um, um, I, my first, my struggles with my mental health first started after the birth of my son. Right. And, um, it, I used to put all this pressure on myself about being a good dad, you know, and about all this, like everything had to be right. And I had to be, and I was so worried about like messing them up basically, you know, yeah. and, and doing all that stuff. And I remember being in a therapy session once and I said to like, Sean, my counselor, I've been with for years and I'm still, still with him now. And I was, you know, explaining about all this, it's sort of stuff. And I said, Oh, I'm just like, I'm just worried that, you know, when he's going to grow up, he's going to end up like in, in therapy, like I am, you know? And he said, to be honest with you, if your if your son like grows up into an adult and he can like, you know, he's, go into therapy you've probably done all right yeah because yeah. he knows that he needs to go and get help and he's in a position where he can afford to go and get therapy and it's like <laughs> you've probably done all right as a dad to be honest and i thought oh yeah that's that's interesting but um he went on to tell me about a type of parenting i think it's like scandinavian or something and it's called just good enough parenting right yeah and all you got to be is just just good enough and if yeah. if things are, are too perfect then the kids aren't, you know, if they don't see daddy getting stressed or daddy getting upset, then when they're out in the real world and they're faced with those emotions, they don't know what to do. When they yeah. experience those emotions, they've never seen it lived, you know? Yeah. So as long as they kind of like, you know, afterwards I'm doing the right thing. If I, if I mess up and I lose my head and I say something I regret, as long as I sit down and say, look, I'm really sorry, daddy shouldn't have spoke like that. Yeah. You know, like it's not your fault. It's all about me. It's my day. And I shouldn't have done as long as we're making peace afterwards. Yeah. Well, then that's fine that they see that behavior because that's, that is being a human being, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes you say shit, you shouldn't. You say yeah. stuff you don't mean. Sometimes you fuck it up. You know yeah. that's just that's and you just make how it, it normal. Yeah, and it's making it normal, right? Because that is that is a normal part of being a human being. It's not about, you know, I suppose that's the downside of kind of um, society portraying these. And I have this kind of jarring thing with kind of social media, as a as I know a lot of people do, in terms of the what's perceived, what's seen, and what's actually going on behind the scenes, and and actually 
I get it. It's marketing. Ultimately, it's it's largely capitalism and money and all that kind of drives it usually. Um, but what it isn't doing is is portraying a, a real life um, experience, you know. And I, one of the first things that so both my my wife and I are, as we term it, recovering perfectionists. Like we are. Um, so when Wilbur, my first was born, he's six now. And before he was born, uh, my parents were awesome. Don't get me wrong. They were great. But I don't really think they ever encouraged me to make mistakes in the way that I think we need to. And by that, it's taking risks. It's doing the things that are, you know, not exceptionally dangerous risks, but just taking risks in life that might expose you to embarrassment or disappointment or shame or all those kind of emotions, because that's how we learn about them right is through the experience like you say and so um i set out when we when we first had him in that sort of haze of like okay we're going to be new parents and that i was like right i need something on his wall that he can kind of relate to around kind of like not being perfect that was i scoured the internet for like hours and i stumbled across this guy um david burton who's down uh basically he was in southampton at the time um and he'd done, I don't he, he was kind of just, he's a creative at heart, really. But he'd done this sort of letterpress thing called, and it just said, make more mistakes. And it was all spelt incorrectly. The letters were back to front. There were like drips of paint all down it and stuff. And it was entirely like a, a plethora of mistakes, um, but on a page and obviously encouraging you to do that. Anyway, so I, I sort of somehow managed to find his email. It was on a blog somewhere and I found his email and I was like, do you sell these? Can I have one? And he said, no, I don't sell them, but I do have some, they were basically just like a passion project type thing, but I've got some, they're like six years old or whatever, but you're welcome to one if you want. So I paid him 20 quid for it or whatever. And it sort of adorned his wall. And it was that, it was that thing for me that when you wake up in the morning, even as a baby, like he's obviously not reading it as a baby, but then as he gradually gets older and he can start to read that he's now, able to kind of see that and to explore it and that also kind of for me is kind of the the art side of it and kind of being who you want to be and all that there's so many different facets to it but it's just amazing that you've got this kind of encouragement it's it's like I'm going to set my stall out and say to you as a dad that it's okay to do that in this house and in fact it's actively encouraged go find out what those mistakes are and we'll get over them together because that's the best way for you to learn, not by me telling you, don't do that, don't do this, don't do the other. All that does is wrap you in cotton wool. And then when you experience it in the real world, I can't help you because I can't save you. I'm not equipping you to be to live in the real world. I'm just equipping you to live in this little cotton wool covered cocoon, which is no good for anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. It's a lovely way to uh, look at it. And I don't know, it's it's so easy to get hung up on all this stuff as if it matters, right? There's so much stuff that doesn't matter. It yeah. really just doesn't matter. Just go yeah. out and like you say, experience it, man. You get covered in mud, we'll wash it. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. You, you hurt yourself, we'll patch it up. People hurt themselves. Like kids, you know, they, they that it happens, you know. It's just, yeah. yeah, we'll find a way to fix it. Nothing really matters, you know, yeah. if we're safe and happy and well and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah. it's just, uh, and it's nice as a parent as well, because it frees you up then, doesn't it? So yeah. how, like having kids has really made me look at how like fucking repressed I was or still am in some respects, how things I can't vocalize, how, yeah. you know, we kind of 
like drifted away from all this stuff that makes a human a human and what society had done to me over the years, you know, and you watch your kids and let them just be kids. You mentioned social media before, and I saw this really sick thing the other day, and it said something like, um, your kid's job um, isn't to grow up to be an adult. Your kid's job is to be a kid. Yeah. And I thought like, that is it, man, because that's what we do, right? We, as if there's like this production line and it's all about getting your kid to 18 so they can be a grown up and start the next cycle. But that's not their job. Yeah, the yeah. It's just to kind of be wherever they are and do whatever they're doing in that moment. And that's, that's it. And if, as adults, if we could get that kind of um, presence, man, it's yeah. better than any mindfulness retreat or any, uh, <laughs> any <laughs> totally. meditation, isn't it, man, to get that mindset. What's, uh, what I think is amazing that the kids have the capacity to do for you as well is to ground you in a way where you're able to kind of, so you just saying there, like there's, there's whole loads of things that from my own childhood that, like you say, I, once you become a parent, it sort of just amplifies everything, doesn't it? In a way where you're like, it's always been there. There's always been questions you've had of yourself, but you've coping mechanisms. You've got this sort of like, you sit there in that box, you sit there in that box. This is fine. Then the kids come along and they open all those boxes and like they do with their toys, just chuck them everywhere. And you go, <laughs> Jesus, I can't control this. Like, how do I do that? And but what they also, what they really have the capacity to do is focus your mind, right? Because it's not just about you anymore. And all the things that you've boxed away or not dealt with and been afraid of for all these years, which I think is true for any of us in different, it's entirely different ways, but it suits different people in different ways. But we've all got our own fears and sort of anxieties around different things. By taking, by making the kids your focus, what you see is that actually... I don't want them to have the things that I had. And so I have a choice. I can either pass that down completely passively and let that be. That for me, that for me is failing as a parent. That for me is saying, not whether not whether I actually managed to fix it, but necessarily fix it, but whether I'm able to kind of look at it and be more constructive about what would help them in the future. And I know, I know intellectually that I'm I'm going to make mistakes and that being a good enough parent is all I can ever be. And, you know, making your peace with that is important, but there is this sense of like, I know I've done a good enough job. If when I look at him at the age of 14, I can see things in him that are stronger than they were in me. And that's because I've had the conscious choice to try and encourage them in him. And that's, you know, all the good bits about you, they're just going to get anyway, because that's, you know, that's just natural right and you don't have an issue with those and neither should they but it's the bits that that challenge you that as a parent it's and I love the fact that it kind of makes you you know I find that having kids has made me a better person and it's made me a better person because it's allowed me to kind of reflect on myself knowing that it's not just me it impacts anymore you know if I want to be grumpy because of you know the bins haven't been put out or something like that these days I have a choice about that. In the old days, I might have just been all oh, being a piss for a couple of hours and not be very happy about it. Now I'm like, I have a choice in that. And I could get upset about that, but it really doesn't matter. So let's not let it get to that stage. And I am being the role model for my kids to be able to say, do you know what? It really doesn't matter. So don't let those things get to you, you know, even though internally I'm furious and I kind of want to just like chuck the bins everywhere. You know, it's that sensation of like, right. And there's a lot of emotional energy and work that goes into changing that in yourself, mm. but does, you know, certainly personally, I found that as a, it's, 
it's changed who I am for the better and that's been hard work. And I guess that's it with kids. That is the overriding message is that they are hard work, but nothing, nothing that's good in life is worth it without hard work. Is it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's really interesting actually, because it kind of plays into the, the mental health conversation. Cause when we have kids, sometimes it's that change, right? Sometimes yeah. it's that whole, whether it's an identity thing, whether you're subconsciously forced to look at some of your behaviors and realize that they're no longer appropriate or the things that you thought made you, you are no longer available to you or they've changed. Yeah. And sometimes when that happens, that's very much, it's that big shift that can really, um, really rock the boat. Hey, when those kids come along and I was really interested, Andy, just to chat to you a bit about your experiences around about when, um, you know, when you had your son and, and you've mentioned before that your wife wasn't very well. Cause I think the, the conversation around, um, like postnatal depression and stuff is really, really important. Yeah. But there's also like the partner aspect or the other half of that conversation. And it's something my wife and I have explored a lot is how, when I was poorly, how that affected her. Cause yeah. when I was poorly, I didn't realize it was. And yeah. it was only when I got well that I could see a look in her face. And I thought, wow, like I've put her through hell through these, yeah. through these years, you know? And I think that's a really, um, a really important conversation to have because you're trying to look after for yourself you're trying to look after your wife and you're also trying to learn to be a dad at the same time right yeah well i mean it is right you you wouldn't change i mean you would change it you wouldn't you'd rather it didn't happen but um you know like all of it like you take away the positives from it that you can and um i ultimately it brought my wife and i closer together in the end and hopefully it was the same for you guys in terms of coming through adversity is always uh, coming through it together is an amazing thing um it's hard work and it's enduring at the time but it's the i think for me what i found with the yeah you know, i don't know how it was for you guys but for us it was like for a period you're walking into parenthood and you've got nothing to compare it to um so for a while is this just normally what it is for every parent? You know, you're just asking that question of like, well, this seems weird, but then we didn't have a kid before. So maybe that's just what it is. And I've got to get used to that. And by the way, sort the nappies out, do the bottles, you know, like uh, I'll try and make some time for thinking about whether my mental health is good or not right now, but <laughs> I've got, a, I've got a shitty nappy to deal with. Let me just sort that out first. Um, so there's that whole kind of like push and pull of not enough time to think about it, but also not knowing and not having information available to be able to reflect on whether it feels right, which is why for me, these conversations and born human, the podcast and that is great is because it kind of hopefully speeds that up to the start. Um, but um, yeah, my own experience of it was, uh, well, it was less than fun, but you I think it took me a while to realize that um what Lucy was going through was something that I couldn't change I'm a man at the end of the day and you know I think for a lot of us our default position is what can I give you to fix that how can I make that better and I don't mean like drugs or anything like that I just mean like let me sort it out for you you know or is it body image uh, let's go to the gym then or you know is it you know, you're not getting enough sleep. Well, let me take the night. So let me try and do that. And I think um, going through that uh, with her was, it was exhausting trying to find those solutions. And 
hard work to sort of well I suppose it was just the experience that brought me to a place that made me realize that I can't fix that I like I can't fix you you have to fix yourself and all I can do is kind of be there to hold you in a space and know that you know there's a lot of patience involved with it and there's a lot of it's very frustrating and it's all of those things but ultimately I love you and I want to find a way for you to come through this on your own but certainly for the first 12 months that was very much I was trying to do all the things that I could do and literally it was just like pile it on just give it all here I just give it a space to to get better like you know whatever you need is what you need kind of thing and I did nothing to look after myself like I just lost who I was and didn't yeah just didn't put myself first and I was okay with that I was totally cool with that because I loved her that much that I literally would do anything to make her better um but there was after a while it kind of just gets to that point whereby I think you just move into sort of survival mode you know um and we certainly did that and then you know she got help as I say she kind of found her way through to recovery it's I mean it's the most traumatic thing in the world to watch someone you love kind of just going through those things and you being entirely helpless in it so it's natural I suppose and human that you would want to find things that would make it better you know and you do you know crazy stupid shit to make their life easier that was like just entirely exponentially a lot of effort for very little reward but you do it in the hope that it would give something back you know um, and it really really did you know and, and I think the other side of it is that uh, and I think this is sort of universally accepted but we you know we always take it out on those closest to us don't we because that's a safe space there's no judgment there and you know that that's a place in which you will always be forgiven so regardless of what you're what you do you know loved in the right way you will always be forgiven um and I, I found that really tough because I you know I'm kind of you feel like you're given a lot and at the same time you're still on the receiving end of the frustration of it not of not being able to fix it um and the way I kind of used to describe it I've always described it to her is that in the morning I'd kind of wake up and uh I'd be sort of, I'd lift my head off the pillow and it would feel like it was just sort of sitting on my chest in the morning, just this little devil thing was just sitting on my chest going, go on, I dare you to get up, watch this. I will punch you square in the face until you just decide to lie down because I am not going to give up. And um, interestingly enough, I, I turned to, I mean, I've always written poetry and like, um, spoken word stuff for my own therapy really it's just something I enjoyed through friends and that kind of thing um, but um, I found that that actually became a really great way of articulating what it felt like um, and I'm doing some work at the moment with a friend of mine on trying to turn it into something so there's one particular one which is about postnatal and it sort of describes the so gives you like this whole perspective of kind of what this character looked like, kind of the journey that you go on to get there. Um, but it's that sort of draining sensation of needing to, wanting it to get better, but knowing that you're basically helpless in it. Um, 
And what, what we found, at least, or certainly my experience of it, was that once you started to get better, um, and I think this is always the way with, you know, it is a survival instinct in us as people. Like when you go on holiday and you work really hard, the minute you go on holiday, you always get ill the first few days, don't you? And then you're just lying there like in a pool, <laughs> yeah. a cesspool of snot and dribble or whatever, just like why is this fair? Like I've just been working so hard for like the last three years and then I get two weeks off and I'm like dying. Um, it's exactly the same thing. Um, once she started to get better, like all these emotions just started to flood me in a way where I was like, well, actually I feel a whole lot more than I've given myself the chance to feel. Um, and so that, you know, I saw my therapist for that and she became the safe space to be, angry and frustrated not necessarily at lucy although at times it felt like it was at lucy because it needed a person but i think intellectually i knew it wasn't but there was just that intuitive kind of frustration of like uh, it was an internal battle really of like you didn't do this to me but you are the embodiment of it because it happened to you kind of thing and i i had no out i had no out there in it you know so yeah so you know I worked through that and I think at that point in my life I kind of I went through my own period of you know low moods call it mild depression I've I've been lucky enough that I've never needed medication I've kind of found my uh, you know I'm a massive advocate of taking medication and seeing the benefits it has and um, I think uh, there have definitely been times in my life when I've kind of teetered on the idea and I've sort of asked the question of whether I needed it um, but I've been lucky enough not to just to be able to battle my way through it. But um, it's that sort of um, just that sensation of being entirely out of control for an extended period of time. And then on the the face of it to the outside world, you're expected to be seen in a certain way as well. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with mates of mine probably about 18 months into it. And we I'd gone out in London just to catch up with him. I've been down here for a while. And um, we were out in Camden, I think, and it was like 11 o'clock, probably six beers into a good night out of catching up. And I remember stood at the bar with four of them. And I said, oh, boys, can I just have a word? I've got something I really need to talk about. Anyway, I started opening up a little bit. And of course, once you open the door, it's just like, they're all just like screaming to come out kind of thing. and so I started outpouring for like five or seven, five or so minutes, and they were just like looking at me as if to say, "Oh, dude, I'm really sorry. I really don't know what to say." But and I was like, "Actually, this isn't the right forum to do that right now. We're six pints into a really good night, kind of thing. I need somewhere to talk. That's ultimately why I'm doing it. But this isn't the right place for me to do yeah. that." Um, but it is that sort of desperation of like the isolation of it and the loneliness of it is, is it's crippling really, because you're like, you're not the focus and rightly so in many ways. And, and nobody, and that's where I kind of come out with born human is like, when you become parents, you take that on as a team. Um, and whether you're together or not together or however that forms itself, you, you are, responsible for that little person and that relies on both of you being on the best form you can be in now what I learned from my experience in that is that I come away 
knowing that I gave far too much myself away to trying to fix it, knowing full well in the end that actually that wouldn't, that's, that wasn't going to solve it. It wasn't going to be the answer. Um, and so, you know, since then I've kind of learned that maybe I should do things differently. I wouldn't necessarily say I've practiced it that way because when it has happened again, I'm not necessarily in the same light, but in milder forms, I kind of catch myself looking and going, you aren't looking after yourself in the way you said you would. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you you can at least catch yourself then doing that. You know, you're not experiencing it blindly and then being like caught in the headlights 12, 18 months in being like, I've totally lost who I am now and I don't know how I get out of this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that just ties in so nicely with your work that we were talking about at the start of the conversation because people are going through situations like that. People are going through their own their own stuff and then having to show up at the workplace, yeah. you know, and it, you could literally be like over breakfast, have a situation in the house that was like, so like bordering on traumatic for everyone involved. And then yeah. you've got to say, right, I can't finish this conversation because I have to be at my desk in half an hour. I'm already late. And yeah. then you stroll into the office and everyone's like, morning, you're right. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And yeah. like, like 20 minutes ago, you were going through this like horrible situation and yeah yeah it's that 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 thing you mentioned at the start about the the blurring between the work life and the yeah. and the home life and why that that barrier is just not you know it just doesn't work right it just doesn't yeah but imagine i mean and that's that is exactly why we're trying to do what we do with born human it's like imagine if you went to work and you knew that weekly for example you had a safe space that you could go to to talk about that kind of stuff and your manager was behind you and your line management and everyone high up is looking at you going this is a cool thing to do this is the right thing to do and we're going to give you a space and an outlet you take an hour a week to just go and sit and chew the fat over what it's like to be a parent right now and for if you need it imagine what that feels like to kind of be able to debrief in a way that when you come back to your desk you're like that feels better like i feel like i'm i'm genuinely here now i'm not like i'm not like having to sort of package up you know shove all these emotions in my backpack and hold on to them till I get home and then when I open them they go off like a you know pinata it's like it is that sensation of like okay well I've let managed to let go of some of them so by the time I get home maybe what I'm having is a more constructive conversation around it and when I come in tomorrow people will understand me a little bit and I get that there are challenges around that in terms of like how much you disclose with your um direct colleagues and stuff like that but that's all about human relationship and there should never be a judgment in it you know because the likely it is like we said earlier about being in class it's like good chance that probably after people you're going to talk to have either been through it or they're going to go through it so it's just the fact of are you the one to stick your neck out and say i'm going through this kind of thing and it's okay to talk about it and that's the risk in it but by sort of being that bridge or creating a space where you can kind of relieve that stress and tension well actually work should be quite a therapy i don't know about you but i find that work at working and being a parent work bit's really quite therapeutic sometimes when you can do something and function um yeah but it's quite depressing when you kind of you're so stressed or so emotionally traumatized or whatever that all you do is sit and stare at a screen all day and go i've done nothing today that doesn't exactly fill you with self-worth and self-confidence, right? It fills you with a sense of like, fine, so I'm failing at the dinner table in the morning, but I'm also failing 
at work because I can't achieve that. So we'll just repeat that cycle, shall we? And I'll just carry on until by the end of it, I feel like I'm literally not worth much at all. Yeah. Um, and none oh, of that's nice. true, you know? But Yeah, yeah, completely. And I suppose having that just completely normalised, you know, so you're not filling out forms. You're not having yeah. to wait three months. You, it's just something that you can go and do. It's just something you can be a part of. Well, that's yeah. absolutely lovely, mate. And yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I love it. And thank you so much for coming on and, and telling me all about it. And yeah, just, yeah, just brilliant. I think it's just nice to, nice to connect and just, I don't know, for two blokes to be able to sit there and sort of practice what we preach, right? And just yeah, kind of totally. get into it a bit. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. And thank you very much for joining me. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on. mental podcast please like and subscribe the space star